0: So this morning, I'm going to give a, a guided meditation about thoughts and emotions, but I just want to remind you that uh, though the instruction looks to be linear, but the experience is not linear, actually. So we cannot give you all uh, instruction in the instruction fa- on the first day. Otherwise, there will be spiritual indigestion. (laughs) So what we do is actually to pace ourselves and give one dose after one dose. But don't get confused that the practice is going to unfold that way. Uh, The body and then uh, first the breath, the body and feelings and thoughts and emotions. It doesn't happen that way. Maybe it it starts with thoughts. (laughs) As you sit down, boo, thoughts there. So, before we slide into the guided meditation, I'd like to give a, a little bit of an overview of where thoughts come from. Where do these thoughts come from? They seem to overwhelm us. The Buddha gave one time a discourse on how thoughts arise. In many discourses, but this one is very important for our purpose. He said that when you uh, like the senses and the sense objects, for instance, the eyes and the invisible object, when those two come together, then there's eye consciousness and the three, when they meet together, it's uh, contact arises. And from contact, feeling arises. We feel pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. From there, perception arises. You perceive based on your memory. Oh, I saw that blue tall person or something like that. And then from perception, thinking arises. So we start to think. And in thinking, we get what we call mental proliferation in Pali, Papancha, a very beautiful word, which literally means adding on and on and on. Keep on adding on and on. My teacher, Bante Gunaratana, found another meaning to that, delaying. You delay liberation, basically. (laughs) (laughs) But I like more adding on and on because you don't know how many things we add on. Just take this retreat. How many of you are planning to talk to somebody after the retreat, go for a vacation, get married maybe, have children, send them to Harvard, <laughs> Columbia University, <laughs> and come together back on the next POC sometime <laughs> in 2020 or something like that, so that they can have the same experience like you, on and on. No stop. Sometimes the mind's like screaming at. Uh, it's amazing. There's a saying which say making uh, an anthill out of a mo a more."
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: and also- oh, yes, 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 <laughs> a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> That's papancha. <laughs> That's my papancha. <laughs> Okay, actually what I'm familiar with in Africa, because we have elephants in Africa, so we say making an elephant out of a house fly. (laughs) (laughs) Is that familiar with you? So if you have thoughts or planning to have one, this is a good uh, uh, session for you. So, actually, we deal with thoughts in the same way we deal with other uh, mind states. Thoughts arise, you mentally not thinking, thinking, thinking. And try to stop there before you go to papancha. Before you papancha, it, papancha. It. <laughs> I'm, I'm making it up. <laughs> But but papancha is there, the word is there, but before you papancha it. (laughs) Mindfulness helps us to stay with the bare thinking. Not thinking, I don't like it, thinking I like it. And actually, these things happen, it's because of greed, hatred, and delusion. Uh, When we think and we like it, and then we get hold on to that thought and we papancha it. If we don't like it, also we do the same thing. And if we don't know because of delusion, we push it away. I mean, we just ignore it, basically. We do it with, our, with the people. We have our friends because we like them. We have our enemies because we don't like them. We have strangers because we don't know what to do with them. Delusion. <laughs> So we do it even in our relationships, actually, because of those mind states, greed, hatred, and delusion. So the same thing, once we see things in that prism, our thoughts are going to be influenced. Also, I'll talk about emotion. Emotions, uh, in Buddhism, we consider them as mind states. Actually, they're more complex than uh, feelings. Feelings is just pleasant unpleasant and neutral. But emotions actually are stronger than that, like anger, aversion, fear. And uh, most people think that it's only negative emotion we should pay, pay attention to. But actually, as far as meditation is concerned, we should pay attention also to positive emotions like calmness, delight, joy. Otherwise, you're going to live half-life. If you're just paying attention only <laughs> negative emotions and leave positive emotions, then you are not having the whole picture of our life. So basically, the instructions are the same is just the difference that uh, we just expand our awareness to our emotion life to include our emotion life. So, um, you have had all these beautiful teachings and guided meditations from teachers here. And uh, I would like to really to pack, to give you a package to go with. I know most of you are new to the practice and also those are seasoned meditators. But I think it's really good to really give a package and you go with that. So, if you jump out of this retreat and you remember the main thing, main thing is the word Main is an acronym for mindfulness, acceptance, or attitude, investigation, and non-attachment. If you can put that on your refrigerator, just on the door, <laughs> before you go out and you remember the main thing. <laughs> but most of the time, we, we think that our emotions are the main thing. This is my anger. So we keep on carrying out a tag in front of our forehead here, I'm an angry person. Of course, if you, you think you're an angry person, you're going to p- meet so many angry people uh, on, on a subway <laughs> because that's what you, 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 you focus on. Yeah, but if you see, okay, the main thing is to deal with the mind. So uh, this is very, very important, actually. So sometimes we we'll talk about recognition, as Joseph said. But actually... Uh, everywhere in that acronym, main, mindfulness is there. Mindfulness should be there in attitude, in investigation, in non-attachment. Mindfulness should be there all the time. So we just give you a catch a word to remember, but mindfulness actually spills over in every step. Even the Buddha said that mindfulness uh, is needed everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere mindfulness is needed. So again, to uh, recap, when an emotion arises, you actually make it the subject of your meditation. Let's say if you have anger, you make it the subject of your meditation. Is anger is present or is absent? So in that way, you recognize it mindfully, and then the attitude you bring uh, Joseph talked about uh, uh, the uh, acceptance for A, but also I like more of the attitudes. Are you judging or are you non judgmental? Are you responding or reacting? There are, there's a difference between responding and reacting. Responding is more of, uh, rational. So when an emotion arises, you respond instead of reacting. Response means understanding. It means acceptance. It's non-biased. But with reaction, when there's emotion, and then we react, and then that's judgment, we judge. We start to be prejudiced because of our greedy hatred, and delusion. So then also investigation is very important. Uh, we investigate not for the sake of investigation, but actually to investigate in order to let go this is not like any scientific investigation people take carry out in a laboratory. <laughs> this is different. So you investigate in a endemic way, trying to let go in terms of uh, anicca, dukkha, and anatta. But then the question is: if things are already impermanent, why do we investigate? They're already impermanent. The reason is that uh, because of our uh, distortion of perception. We tend to fix it and make things permanent, and then we suffer. So we, our investigation is to reverse that distortion and to see things as impermanent. This is not a dharma talk. The teachers have given beautiful talks here about Dokaya yesterday, and I really just want to point out something very important about anatta. And Gina is going to talk about this, but I would like to offer you something. When we are observing emotions because they really spread, they are spread out in our life, joy and grief and sorrow and, uh, and fear and anger and greed. So it's just a big part of our life is emotions. So it, there's a tendency to make them as a self, this is self, concretize them. So we have to see them as non-self. What does this mean, Anatta? the Pali word, the Buddha uh, had a problem with one meaning of the word anatta, which is thinking that things are permanent, concrete. The rest of the meaning of the word self, uh, it's, uh, Buddha had no problem using the word self in terms of reflexive sense, uh, train yourself and all that. So that's the reflexive usage of the word. And also, he had no problem using the word self as a, short a shorthand device to represent the psychophysical phenomena. Otherwise, it would be Buddha Rakita talking here. I will, the proper word should be five aggregates talking to five aggregates. <laughs> five aggregates are listening to the five aggregates. It doesn't make any sense. So, the Buddha had no problem using it as a shorthand device to say, okay, I'm going for arms round. I'm giving a dharma talk to you. So this is just a shorthand device to use the word self. But if you use the word self to say, okay, now I'm an angry person, and you fix it as a self, okay, I'm that self, then Buddha has had a problem. He said, no, this is non-self. Anger is arising and it's passing away all the time. It's only that we, we don't have enough mindfulness to pick up the flaw. That's why we see it as continuity continuous. But once you have enough mindfulness, you can see one anger rising, another anger passing away. In fact, it's amazing. After two hours, we might be laughing. So where is the anger? It's Out of the window. So basically, these fixations, the Buddha didn't want that. So that investigation is also very important with emotions. So of course, non-identification, any stance for non-identification or depersonalizing the process. or Basically, it means non-attachment, don't attach to the emotions because that's what maintains it. Once we attach to the emotions, we give it fuel. Okay, let us sit. Take a deep, slow breath to oxygenate the blood. Letting go of any tension in the body, settling back in the present moment, pay attention to any tension that might arise. And see if we can release it. If thought arises, simply be a way of thinking, thinking. Most people think that when they come to meditation, they are going to drain their thoughts out from the mind and make it a vacuum. But here the process is different. We have to be aware of the thoughts and they'll pass away naturally. We have to be mindful of thinking, thinking, thinking. There's no problem with awareness of thinking. The problem is being caught up in thoughts. So there's a difference between being aware of thoughts, mindful of thoughts, and being caught up in them. Awareness leads to freedom, awareness of thoughts. And being caught up in thoughts leads to bondage and suffering. So, if you are caught up in thoughts, what's the emotion around this? Is there fear? Is there aversion? Is there attachment? So, you can mindfully recognize that the emotions around the thoughts. If the thought is overwhelming, especially thinking about what I've been talking and you can't figure it out, come to the body, feel the body touching. Then you can go back to your mind, what's in the mind. As you become mindful of thoughts, are you pushing them away or are you indulging in them? Because if sometimes the thoughts are pleasant, there's a tendency to indulge in them. If they're unpleasant, there's a tendency to push them away. And if they're neutral, we ignore, we don't know. Sometimes it's very important to check in what's your attitude. Is it a proper attitude or improper attitude? Are you judging yourself? I shouldn't think like this. I'm a bad yogi. That's judgmental, that's reaction. See if you can respond with compassion and just be a way of thinking. bringing some investigation quality of mindfulness. Is it increasing or staying the same or disappearing? Sometimes you can be aware of thoughts as they starts to, to subside. Sometimes you can be aware of the cascading nature of the thoughts and you know that they are increasing. So that's The impermanence nature of investigation. How unsatisfactory is that as you think? Can you see the impersonal process of the thoughts? They just come due to causes and condition. Selfless nature of the thoughts. And an attachment, try to let go. No need to hold on. Again, it's the same process with emotions, with a great emphasis on non-attachment when it comes to emotion because we tend to attach to our emotions. So any emotions arise, no need to create one. Just be aware of whatever emotion that is present now. There's a joy. It might be calmness. anxiety, pay mindfulness attention, mindfully recognize it, calmness, delight. What's their attitude as you, you're aware of that? Are you pushing it away or are you trying to have more, more calmness, more and more and more? Are you anticipating for more calmness, and delight? Or are you settling back to know and try to understand what's this nature of calmness or delight or even aversion? And carry out the investigation also with mindfulness. You investigate. Is it increasing? Is that experience increasing or passing away? The rest is the same. How unsatisfactory it is, selfless nature of that experience. Its impersonal nature, meaning it came due to cause and condition. It's an impersonal process. And finally, let go. Let go of that emotion. If the emotion is overwhelming, you can always come back to the body, the body is biofeedback. You can feel the tension of the body. You can feel so the release, real ease, grounding yourself in the body. And then you can go back to the emotion. Pay your attention here and now in this present moment. Letting go of emotion becomes a natural process of your mindful observation of how it affects your body, how the emotion affects your body, your mind, how it's rising and how it's changing, how unsatisfactory it is and how it's impersonal, you didn't make emotion come; just arose due to cause and condition. So there's a process. There's no mechanical letting go. It's actually natural. Once you be, you allow yourself to be present, to be mindful, to investigate. And along the way, you are gaining wisdom, gaining insight into impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and unsafe. What comes out of that investigation is non clinging. Non an attachment, letting go. The, the emotions, however strong, weak, or otherwise, it's another rising mind state. There's no need to make a monument out of it, it's not yours. It's not mine. It's just a mind state. It's a passing show. The arising of thoughts and emotions is beyond our control, but the awareness, mindfulness, wisdom of the emotions can make difference between being free and being caught up in them. Thank you very much for your practice. I ended up a little bit early because I know people before they go to interview they need to go to the restroom, take a cup of water, hot water like this. So, and also I have some announcement and uh, I invite a couple of questions about what I've said about the practice should be practice oriented, about the mental movies. Eh? Yes, okay. Um, you said that um, we come with the idea that we want vacuum in our head. Yes. Is that the ideal state we're trying to get to? Or? No, it, it, I think it will come naturally if <laughs> yeah? oh sorry, okay. <laughs> yes, okay, the question is that we come with the idea of uh, vacuuming our thoughts, I mean making our head a vacuum and no thoughts. Is that the ideal state we are getting to? That's the question. Is that what you asked? Actually, the ideal states we are getting to is to get rid of greed, hatred, and delusion, and this is just not empty. What's coming in is generosity, loving kindness, compassion, and uh, wisdom. And all these are mind states. It's the, the mind is not going to be like a vacuum. <laughs> this is not what we are getting to, that the mind is going to be a vacuum. No, that's not where we are getting to. We are cultivating these mind states of happiness, peace, when you have generosity, loving kindness, and compassion. And all these beautiful qualities in Buddhist they are called beautiful factors. So we can um, be more wise, have more compassion, and generosity. And the final goal is actually Nibbana. Nibbana taught total freedom no suffering that's where we are getting to ultimately but slowly gradually <laughs> we have to really define our uh, steps uh, clearly that we are trying to le- to let go greed and, uh, and uh, cultivate uh, generosity to let go hatred and anger and aversion and have loving kindness compassion Appreciate the joy and the equanimity. We try to let go of our confusion, bewilderment, and all that delusion, and have more wisdom and understanding. Mm-hmm. Then we we will be peaceful. Even the world is not peaceful, we will be peaceful with ourselves, and we can extend that peace and happiness to others and all people around the world. But we are not sitting here. Okay, I'm not going to have loving kindness. I'm not going to have anger. So that we empty out of our head, angry, anger, loving, kindness, compassion, and throw it out there. And then we go back to New York, empty head, <laughs> floating. Yeah, I've been doing a retreat here. <laughs> I've left the, my thoughts in the garbage <laughs> at IMS. No. It's like when you are constructing a house, you put ventilations, right? Right? So you try to keep away dust, leaves, and all those things. But you you need ventilation to let in oxygen, because you need oxygen, isn't it? You need oxygen (laughs) to breathe and to keep alive. So yes, we have constructed this house, even if it's windy here, unwanted leaves won't come here. But there are certain things that we want to come in, which is fresh air. So then we meditate like that to keep away things that leads to us to, uh, to suffering and allow him things that increases happiness. In fact, that was the main teaching of the Buddha. He taught the four noble truths: the first two, first suffering and the cause of suffering, and then he taught happiness and how to be happy. The Buddha may, may spent forty-five years teaching that. Can you imagine 45 years teaching the same thing? Actually, also we've been here, actually. We've been repeating these mistakes, but using different words. Then Joseph will use um, uh, one word, let's say acceptance. I will use attitude. So we just keep on saying the same thing, actually, (laughs) but in different ways. (laughs) So don't think that we are giving you conflicting instructions. (laughs) It's actually a whole of uh, these techniques that are gonna help you in the world of Dukkha. And today I've packed it in the word main. If you remember that, you'll be good to go. Okay, another question. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to sense the
1: beginning of the thought? I find that when I'm practicing I always become aware once Pancha is already started. Uh-huh. Is there? Have you ever felt the
0: beginning of it being a, a, be aware of the beginning of a thought, or it's arising? Was it the end? And <laughs> uh, the question is: It is it possible to actually be aware of the beginning of the thoughts, or at the end, for uh, for her, is always in the middle, and then sometimes papancha, uh, and then you really get caught up in it, and she never actually felt the beginning and the end. Uh, actually, it's possible. That's why there's a practice. (laughs) In fact, the Buddha said that I will not teach you things if it was not possible. He teaches what's possible, (laughs) right? So the question you ask is, it's as if to say, okay, is it possible to, uh, you ask a child, is it possible to win Olympics? He's just starting walking and say, is it really possible to re- win the Olympics Cup uh, as a marathon? <laughs> and this kid is just trying to stand up. he has not even started walking. And you say, is it possible to win Olympics? Especially the next Olympics in Japan. <laughs> we are training. This is a training. In fact, even when we are, a kid is trying to, to, uh, to ride a bicycle, they are training wheels. So we use training wheels. And when after that, we can remove the training wheels. And then still there's some balancing going on here and there. So basically, uh, once we are enlightened, <laughs> we have 100% mindfulness, we can see it. We can see the beginning. But now we are not there. We don't have 100% mindfulness and wisdom and concentration I mean, these are already mental factors that can help you to go in that state where you can be aware of the rising. And they are, there, like having mindfulness, 100% mindfulness, having 100% concentration, having 100% wisdom. All those things can help you to actually see it arising. But don't worry. There will be a certain time in your practice, moments when you can just... Something closer to the beginning, <laughs> but not at the beginning maybe. Because it's a training, you know. If we are so much confused, then you always we are going to find ourselves in the middle when something has already popped up. Right. So as you still you you continue to refine your mindfulness and concentration and wisdom, then you become closer and closer and closer, closer and closer. Yeah. So the key is to continue practice mindfulness and concentration and wisdom, so that you, never, you don't get carried away. Let's say if a thought arises, yes, after the retreat I'm going to talk to uh, X and Y and all that, and then go to the restaurant in Broadway and have dinner. Maybe I can have a date and all that. So, I mean, you can catch it actually before it goes into dating. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, and next time if you have enough concentration, maybe you catch it uh, and stop at IMS and you don't care what is going to happen in New York.
1: <laughs>
0: and later on, it gets refining itself until you actually just sit, oh, it's, it's about to think about somebody who was working wonderfully and all that. How can do this, actually? So really, actually, this practice is amazing that it's a gradual process. It's not a pill. This practice is not a pill that you take, ah, now I will see every beginning of my thoughts and the end. (laughs) Ah, you have to do the homework. Thank you very much for your question. Okay, I have an announcement here. Somebody wrote a note. So is it possible to remind the older couple that is in a picture-taking vacation or vocation. I don't know, it's either vocation or vacation. I think it's more vocation. Chanting, chatting with each other, and talking on the cell phone. That uh, remind that those people that the rest of us yogis are on a silent retreat, trying very hard to honor this process and maintain the container intact. Thank you. Postscript, please give, uh, forgive my aversion. I'm saying much better. <laughs> That's quite something. <laughs> Actually, when you, you start meditating, you don't become a vegetable and that you can't talk about these things. <laughs> I can I think this is out of meta, so don't take it personally. Yeah, because I can tell you from my experience. I've been around uh, meditating in many places uh, in Australia and Asia, Africa, Sweden, uh, Europe, and America. I've been really in many centers, but it's very rare to find a center like this. There are not so many centers, actually, which are quite like this. Even when you go to Asia, most of you have been in Asia. Meditation centers and temples, they're too much loud. See, you even be frustrated. I came to Burma to meditate and then you hear all this sound pollution. Very few centers even in Burma who actually are in a forest. Even in Sri Lanka, many temples are on the main road and too much noise. (laughs) I'm telling you, yes, even in Melbourne where I stayed for three months in Australia, Right there in the center, with a lot of traffic, I had to go to Forest Monastery, which is almost two hours, to, to really feel the sense of quietness and all that. So please, this is a, a very important space, actually. Apart from the center itself, there are not so many people doing what we are doing here. I'm telling you. I can tell you for sure, not so many people are doing what we are doing right now. In fact, if you go back home and you tell people you've been here walking and breathing, <laughs> they're crazy. <laughs> You're crazy. You must be crazy. So uh, please, I request you kindly eh, to really honor the space and the process. Because most of us, we need it. Most of the people here we are, you live in New York, in Boston. I don't know where you live, but I'm just I mean, <laughs> when Joseph used to go to New York and came back when I was on staff, he used to say, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I'm not saying that, he, I mean, he, <laughs> he just appreciated the place. I mean, it's, it's quiet and, I mean, you can see all the sensual stimulus and bombardment and the everything is just over there, but you come here and leave that all behind, try to really uh, make this place even much better than how it is by not really making sound and talking on the cell phone. After all, you have only a couple of days to go. You can talk on your cell phone 24 hours, (laughs) 365 days, until you come back to the next POC. (laughs) There's a lot of possibilities actually. Yeah, so this is really actually my (laughs) kind (laughs) request. Apart from which, uh, most of us actually, we traveled a long distance to be here. You know, I came from Sri Lanka to come here to teach POC. Mm-hmm. So it took me a long time, and this, it's not out of compassion, uh, a force from my co- college, it's that I really want what I'm doing. Sharing what I have, a little that I have learned. So it has taken us a, ho- a huge energy to really come down here even those people who came from New York, you know, and uh, from Seattle. So we all put our energy, the whole year, looking forward to this space. And please, help us to maintain it so that people can gain the maximum benefit. So it's a gift to yourself and it's a gift to others. Thank you very much.
1: So we'll be having meetings um, this morning, and if you could really help us by uh, coming on time for, we're, we have a lot of people to see in a in a small space of time. We're not hurried, but we're but we're we're scheduled in a really specific way. So if one person comes late, it throws the whole thing off. So if you could come a little bit early for your meeting and sit outside and so that when we're ready for you, you, you'll be there. That would be really helpful. And also, please be mindful of the time. They're 15-minute interviews. There are a couple of spaces that we have just to give ourselves a break. So if, we, if we've scheduled you and it looks like you have half an hour, it's really 15 minutes. <laughs> okay? So if you could help us in really being aware of the time also, it would be, really, it would be very helpful for the whole for the whole group, and we really thank you for that. Yeah, so when you see the person before you leave, if you know who they were, because we may be running late and it may be the wrong person, but if you if you see the person leave and it's your time, please come right in. You don't have to wait for us to come out and get you. And, and oh, so... Joseph, is instructing <laughs> through me that if you give a little thought before you come in as to what you want to say now, don't go through a whole journal, you know, ten pages, or papancha, papanchate, as uh, Bhante said, said. But it would be helpful. What we really want to know is what how your practice is in this, in this retreat. That's a really good starting place. If you could really just... Reflect on your practice, see what's, um, what's working in your practice. We'd really like to know that. And also what might be of some, you know, you may be perplexed about something. That would be helpful, too, because then we can help you. And it will, it will really make it a constructive 15 minutes because it's a short time. Okay? Thank you so much.